This is DJ and PK, Utah's highest rated sports radio morning show for over 20 years. Ridiculously good. Presented by Murdoch Hyundai, Utah's number one Hyundai dealer for 16 years in a row on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Scotty today at Spa Treve in Orem, located 295 East University Parkway. Stop in and say hello. They'll be broadcasting live from noon to 3 p.m. today. DJ PK and the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, David Locke, is back with us once again. David, good morning. Good morning, David James, Patrick Kimahan. My goodness gracious, how do I get so lucky to start off the end of the week with you guys every week? Well, more than 25 years ago, you hired me, so that kind of started the process. And then, you know, it's kind of evolved yeah, since I then. Wasn't, I wasn't smart enough to do that with a talented one. <laughs> nice. A little late to the party, but, you know, you figured it out eventually. Yeah. We are curious, as we sit here and look for things in jazz games to inter- interest us, because what everyone wants to look for is victories, and uh, playoff seeding and postseason wins, and that's the fun stuff to talk about. Uh, but that's not where this team is headed, not since the, the trade deadline. They've lost seven out of eight. But you were paid to be there and to be interested and be involved and not check out. So what things do you look for in this that entertain you, that are at least building blocks going forward that, uh, you know, theoretically one day could matter a lot, and you could look back and say, oh, at the end of the 24 season, they weren't winning, but I saw X, Y, Z, whatever. Oh, I mean, I think there's a lot. Like, there's, you know, but we still have, what, 20% of the season left. Um, maybe even more, 25 almost. So I don't think you can just dismiss um, the games. And so, from you know, from a Lowry marketing standpoint, uh, we're putting him at the nail at the top of the free throw line and giving him more ISO opportunities for him to develop that skill and learn how to do that to the next step in his development and how he's going to be able to do that. Um, I think it's important. Um, very, very important. Like, you know, if he adds that, it changes him from a top 25 player to a top 15 player in the NBA. You know, I think Taylor Hendricks in five games has guarded Victor Webinyama, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Brandon Miller, and last night, Paulo Boncaro. And I'm missing one in the middle there. Um, you know, those are vastly different players that you have to deal with. So he's he's getting a real tutorial right now on, you know, what, what it what is it to guard you know to be an elite defender in the NBA, which is what you know, Jazz really hope he's going to be. Um, I think, and I think he's learning everything from like, oh, where does my athletic skill work and where does it not work, and that's probably really important. Um, and then Keontae, I thought last night was a really important game, and Jalen Suggs is probably as tough as anyone in the NBA of getting up in on you. Um, Defending, picking you up where he does, relentlessly kind of bothering you. And early you saw Keontae kind of a little bit undone by it and then learned how to deal with his night went on. I think the Spanish would die in one turnover or something of that nature. That's really, that's really fabulous. So, you know, those young players, I think you're seeing that. And then, um, you know, I don't, 
you know, I'm not entirely sure what, what you learn out of Jordan Clarkson at this point in his career. He's pretty well known. He's continues to evolve and become a different player, which is great. Um, Collins having a, just a fabulous year. So you just kind of continue on that. So I think individually there's just a ton. And then I think if you can keep effort high, like they did last night in the midst of losing, that's pretty impressive. Do you think that we're approaching time or is it time to get Hendricks an opportunity to close games? I have to think about what our rotation is. Who are you sitting? So sorry. Clarkson. Not, so what would we uh, Hendricks instead of Clarkson? Yeah. Um, I mean, Jordan's really an interesting discussion right now, right? I mean, he's just a major part of our ecosystem, major part of our team, major part of our culture, and just having a miserable year. It's just no other way to say it, right? And it's trending trending less. You know, it's not trending as though he's getting out of his miserable year. It's trending that the year is continuing. Um, I think, last time I checked, the only guard in the NBA that's having kind of this level of inefficiency is Jordan Poole in Washington. Um, so I don't know the answer on that because there is an ecosystem and he has a role and he's and you know, he's important and kind of alluding to D, you know, he's likely on the roster next year and kind of alluding to what DJ's point is like, if you're not playing for, you know, a play in a play off spot at this point, as the losses pound up, like, are you suddenly doing damage to what you could do next year? Right. Like, you know, yeah. Jordan's, Jordan is an important piece of this ecosystem. So, I think there's probably some level of you're better off letting him try to play through it and see if he can solve it than you are kind of humiliating him in some fashion. I want to go back to your your point about marketing. You know, top 25, top 15. I, uh, I hear discussions about, you know, he needs to shoot more. And I get why people look at the box scores and look at the shots. But he also needs to shoot more of the right kind of shots but can the Jazz really be successful? Would they be more successful? Would it set them up in the long run if they learned to treat their best player like a volume shooter? Because that's not really how he gets treated now, even though he's their best scorer. But that's not what he is. Hence like, the question. <laughs> can that yeah, evolve? So. It's not what he is. Is it what he could be or should be? Or no? Well, he's I just... think that's what you're tr- – so – you know, I, if we go back, if we look at, like, Paula Boncaro last night, right, who's their volume scorer, and they turned the game over to him, and then Jalen Suggs made a bunch of plays. But, like, if we we can't really just go give Lowry the ball in the left block the same way Orlando did to Boncaro. That's just not – I don't think that's where – I don't think he's – I don't think he's there yet. Like, I don't think that's his um, – I mean, he's not very good at that yet. Like, that's what, that's what I'm talking about him trying to develop is, is that. So the discussion of getting Lowry more shots is that Lowry needs to become better at making more or self, being able to have more self-created offense. How do you do that? You catch the ball at the he did it a few times last night. There was, there was a play last night where he caught the ball at the nail, swung through, immediately drove with the left hand, a right hand, got got himself to his right hand, so where the defense wanted him, which was left hand, and he drew two free throws. Like 
So that's basically a shot attempt. That's, it's, yeah, yeah. It's learning how to play out of the block. He, you know, if you think back to the Warrior game, he catches the ball a bunch of times. They try to ISO him, and the Warriors are just up in on him, and he's off balance, and he's not owning his space, and it's fruitless. Well, on that play, he catches, he makes the first movement, he's aggressive, he now owns his space, and then he proceeded to go. He also, you know, if you catch and just swing through hard at the first minute, well, now you've probably got your defender backing up a little bit. You've created some space, and now you, you can go to work. I mean, think about Jokic. Jokic catches, and the first thing he does is swing through, right? Or clears a front pivot foot. And now suddenly he has, you know, suddenly now he has a has a position on the court and is in control. I'm intrigued by Keontae George. There's the never-ending discussion, and, uh, you know, PK loves to try to spin me like a top. We talk about point guards. There aren't point guards anymore. Well, there are. There's still six-foot guys who initiate the offense, but they are expected, yeah, and they do. They're, they're not six feet tall. They're, they're not okay. Six they're six. They're, they're six two. They are. They yeah, are. They are shorter than most of the guys on the court. They are going to shoot. 10 to 15 times a game, maybe more, depending on who they are. But they still need to average the assists. And I think when you have the better guards and the better teams, they do play with an eye towards, I'm going to score. But I also play with an eye towards, how am I going to get assists and get easy shots for my guys? And Markinen could really benefit by playing with a veteran point guard who had that and could help get him a few more easy shots right now. And obviously the Jazz are bringing George along. And I thought the game in Orlando where he has 12 shots and nine assists, I mean, he's proven that he can get you five, six assists a game. To have a nine-assist game, I wonder how much of that is just in the moment and in the night and it happened and how much is he's processing the game like, I'm going to get a shot in this situation and this possession. I see what coach called and I know – I can help get Lowry an easy shot. How much of that do you think he's processing and how much of it is stuff that's happening around him and the stat line is going to look game different night to night? I think it's probably the latter at this point because that's just a really big ask for him to like mm-hmm. to, to play a game and see a game in that fashion. Like I think last night what was happening was that Suggs was up on him so tight and he eventually had to break. He had to beat Suggs. And then when you beat Suggs, you suddenly have – to make a decision if you're shooting or if, the, and if you beat Suggs, then the defense is adapting and then you're you're making plays. Um, so I do think he saw the game well. Um, you know, is he specifically trying to go to Lowry and get him a look? I mean, we, I'm not entirely sure how that happened. I, some of these things, maybe I'm, you know, splitting hairs here, but some of these things I do feel like are, are somewhat talked about by us in the media that are not as like applicable in real life as we think they are. So, you know, we call a pin down for Lowry on the right side. So JC goes to set a pick for Lowry and Keontae's job is to give him the ball. Like, is like, can get some ball. Like, you know, the play is called for Lowry, go give him the ball. Um, but if they top block it or they switch it and they make in, and there's a, then, you know, then Lowry's not available. So let's say they switch it and they deny the passing lane. So now Lowry goes to the post. Okay. So now we're just, 
if we're just trying to feed Lowry, then we're not playing basketball anymore. Now we're just feeding Lowry in the post so we can get Lowry a shot. But Lowry's not very good in the post yet. Like, that's just one of these areas we're talking about. So, like, I guess if we want our point guard to just go get one guy shots, that's how we would do it. But I don't, I don't know necessarily that that's actually how this game is played. Like, you know, if you're running cross screen to Carl and the old rules and Carl gets the ball on the block because he's big and he's playing in the post, that's what he's doing. But this idea that the point guard somehow is, you know, I think there's, there's a level you got to execute at the key moment of the game. Like, I think that's what Keontae's got to learn is like time and score and things of that nature. And Will talks about his voice. You know, he needs to be talking to the team and organizing the team and setting up things. And I think those things are really important. I'm not, I'm like the biggest Lowry fan, but I think we're trying to turn him into someone he's just not. And that's why I do think the last games of the year are important for Lowry. I don't know that he, you know, plays all of them, but I do think they're important. And I think that, you know, um, there, there's a level here where if we go into the league and, you know, like Lowry's just not, we got what, 10 guys that are averaging 28, 27 a game. Like their game is just not Lowry's. If you go look at Tatum, Curry, Booker, Brunson, Durant, Donovan, Giannis, Shea, Doncic, and Embiid, which I think are the top ten scorers in the NBA, but there's just not a lot. Like that's just like those guys are all playing off the bounce. Those guys are all physically more imposing, um, but I mean, most of them are just playing off the bounce, right? Like Lowry just doesn't play off the bounce. Do you think the Jazz are at the point now when they make deals that the primary return won't be simply draft picks? So I really expected in the trade deadline that they were going to do both simultaneously. So I thought they would get better, get a get a piece, and then I thought that they would trade Simone Fontecchio, Kelly Olynyk, and I was like the Otero Bosch thing makes sense, but I was a little surprised, like you know. When the year started, I wouldn't guess that. As it got closer, I kind of got it. That was going to happen. Um, but I don't think that the there weren't that, that player wasn't moved, right? Um, don't think. Um, yeah, I, I mean, who was the like PJ Washington was moved? That's not going to move the meter a great deal. Gordon Hayward was moved. That's not going to move our meter. It's not moving Oklahoma cities. So that piece, so yes, I, I suspect that in the next iteration of player movement, which is the offseason, that players that actually move the meter, I mean, we go back, I think OG Ananobi would probably be the one player, or maybe Pascal Siakam that was moved, that were really, you know, could move your meter and make it better. Siakam's a funky fit for us. Um, and OG Ananobi, they wanted current players. We just didn't have anything that could match that deal. Um, and I don't know how much we were in on those. Um, but on the trade deadline specifically, that player just didn't move, right? DeJounte Murray didn't move, whatever next player didn't move. Um, so, you know, there's, you can't do anything with those players. Now, in the offseason, I certainly suspect those players are going to move. So, yeah, I think you'll see the Jazz next iteration of moves be something that they're adding talent. I also could see them, you know, playing around for – with, you know, draft picks and players and doing some things to, but I, yeah, I think that the next, my next guess, because I think that's what the market will do. Like you can still only play the game. That's, you know, you, Hey, by the way, we're ready. The rest of you now have to change your plan. That doesn't really work. Like that's the difficulty here. 
By the way, just so you have it, because we were talking about Lowry's in the 56th percentile on post-ups, and he's in the 67th percentile isolation, which is better than he used to be, but he is shooting 38% on isolation shots. The Lakers and Warriors seem to be picking up speed. They've got the celebrity names. They've got the history. Are they really going to be factors in the postseason this year? Do you believe in one or both of them? So, yes. First of all, I actually think this is the conversation that none of us have really had, but maybe you guys have haven't listened to every show. I probably should be fair. Like, I understand it's super frustrating right now to lose one of the last six or seven, seven of eight. I get it. It's frustrating. It's way more fun to, like, be in but did we really think we were going to be, like, did we really think that our team was going to be better than the Lakers and the Warriors down the stretch? Not if they play like this. If Anthony Davis leans over, grabs his foot, and limps to the locker room for the rest of the season, yes. But you don't control that part so of it. Then, right. So then we are banking on a 10th seed, right? So then we, that's what we were playing for was an injury and a 10th seed. I think, you were, I think you were spot on. You said on our show a couple of weeks ago when all the trades went down, you said, Best case scenario, if everything lined up, the Jazz were going to play seven postseason games, two playing games, and a five-game opening round series. And that was the yeah, best. Yeah. They might have played one. They might have just played one and been right. done. Yeah, I think that was that's the likely case scenario. Um, well, the likely case scenario was actually that we battled and got the 11th pick. Didn't get into the play and gave Oklahoma City the 11th pick. I think that was the likely case scenario if we were doing it. <laughs> Nonetheless, um, yes, here's why. Um, and this would be what would terrify me if I'm Minnesota, Oklahoma City, Denver, or the Clippers. Um, so the Warriors, if you go back even to their championship year, they started that year like, I can't remember, like 20 and 4, something crazy, right? And they're really a 500 team since then. That's kind of now they're playing a little better with 1 8 of 10, one, um, six straight road games, I think. But they're just a 500 team. Okay. But guess what in the playoffs they have to be? One better than a 500 team. Right? Like, that's the funny thing here when you're talking about the Lakers and Warriors, which over an 82-game schedule are tired and aged and at times look horrendous. And every time you think they're about to – they're not capable of doing what Minnesota, Oklahoma City are doing right now. They they can't go dominate for 82 nights. They just don't have that in them anymore. Steph's old. LeBron's old. AD's inconsistent. Clay's – decrepit um <laughs> i mean i could not believe i can't believe clay thompson's playing in the nba when i watched him warm up like his legs don't work anymore the guile and guts he must have to be able to go out there every night is just so awesome okay with that said if golden state is playing in a playoff series they just have to beat you every other night like that's all they have to do now like it's hard and they'll probably wear out so can they do that for 16 probably not but in Sacramento, right? Steph goes and has one of the historic games of all time in Game 7, and they advance the second round. And the Lakers last year, I didn't think they were very good. But, you know, they won their first round series because they can win four out of seven. Then they beat the Warriors because they won four out of seven, and Denver was better than they were. And it wasn't actually a close series. But I do, And I think Denver's better than all of them still today. But I do think that, like, yeah, LeBron, like we saw it against the Clippers just the other night. LeBron goes and is going to win you two games. Anthony Davis wins you a game. You win one other. Like, oh, you just want a series. I don't know that – like, the Warriors would be the one I think are a little – can Steph really go win you four games? Because that's kind of what it feels like he has to do for you at this point. Um, 
you know, they're really good defensively. Maybe Draymond bothers someone enough to to get a game. But, no, yeah, I think they're a real threat in the playoffs just because you don't have to, in a funny way, like you don't have to be, I mean, as good is not the right way to say it, but I think you're getting what I'm saying. That they, yep. like, I just wouldn't want to have to beat them four out of seven times, which is totally different than beating them on one. I think both of them could lose in a playing game. Like, absolutely, because that's back to just one game, one night. How's your body? David, we got to run. We got Pablo Mastroni coming up next, RSL head coach on the other side of this break. We appreciate it, David. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you. Talk to you soon, guys. DJ PK, Pablo is up next. Yes, snow, possible lightning, 60 degree, uh, 60 mile an hour winds for the opener, that, uh, the home opener. That ought to be exciting. Two Phoenix guys will uh, talk about that next. Stay with us, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 The Zone. 20 years and still going strong. Utah's number one sports radio show for over two decades. You're listening to DJ and PK on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Don't miss your chance to win big every week on the KSL Sports Zone. This week on Win Ticket Wednesday, you can win a pair of tickets to Dan and Shay at Utah First Credit Union Amphitheater. That's going to be on September 20th. Listen to the KSL Sports Zone all day on Wednesday for your chance to win. DJ PK, it's 97.5 The Zone. RSL is at home, the home opener tomorrow against LAFC, the team that really is the class of the West now. They are the one everyone is measured against. Seattle's not that far away, but Seattle's not really the team. It's LAFC now. And PK, if you're going to play the best, maybe you get some conditions that level the playing field a little bit. 60-mile-an-hour winds, snow possible around halftime possibility that halftime will be delayed and the whole thing will be delayed by thunder and lightning depending on uh, where the storm hits and when it hits. Sounds like ideal weather. Should we think about uh, a retractable dome on that baseball stadium for spring weather in Utah? Uh, Yeah, but what the heck? This is soccer, man. Just rub some dirt on it. <laughs> there you go. RSL head coach Pablo Mastroni joins us now. Pablo, good morning. Morning, guys. How we doing? Uh, we're doing well. I was just talking to your fellow Thunderbird High grad about uh, playing soccer in 60-mile-an-hour winds with snow possible at halftime, uh, and who knows when halftime will hit because there's could be thunder and lightning in the area that delays everything. I'm thinking uh, you didn't have to put up with that at uh, Thunderbird High or North Carolina State. Not not often, not at all, but that's what makes it all exciting. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing. You have stories to tell when you're older. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Do you game plan for it, or what do you do? No, not not really. Um, again, I think there's one there's one weather variable that that ruins soccer games and throws it on its head, and that's wind, um, snow, rain. That's all. That's something that we're accustomed to. You know, the wind part is is the most difficult because it's so unpredictable, um, and you know, the one thing I would say is for us this year, we want to keep the ball on the floor. Um, a lot more than we did last year. So it shouldn't affect us from there, but we also want to be vertical. And so when you hit the ball over distance, if the wind's against you, you have to keep it low. It's a little bit like golf. You have to keep it low. Um, 
and then obviously when it's when it's with you, you've got to make sure you put a little bit of height height under it so that it, it, it stays on on the on the field. So those are some of the things. But again, I think the best way to game plan for the unknown is the mindset. And uh, if, if you're are you know if you're already if that's already an issue before the game starts, uh, it's not going to bode well. So for us, it's really about controlling the controllables. You're slowly getting uh, pieces of your team together. We saw Matt Crooks play his first 30 minutes. And uh, to come in and get an assist with a really pretty pass outside of the right foot, perfectly weighted, good ball. I think everybody looks at his height and thinks, man, he is going to be great on set pieces, top of the six-yard box. I mean, he's going to be out jumping people. This is going to be great. But he looked comfortable drifting out wide and playing like a winger, playing in the middle of the field. And uh, you might have something there, which I guess is the expectation. Yeah, no, no, I think uh, I think just to go back to what you said, I think it's it's so true. You know, it's so hard when you you don't have everyone in for the preseason. The, 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 The most learning and collective learning that you can do is in those six weeks. Um, because there's no bullets flying, it's it's really about instruction and making sure that everyone understands our game model and, and the style of play that we want to put forth. Um, and when you're starting to add these pieces slowly, then you're starting to have to adapt on the run. But the one thing with with Matt Crooks, as you rightly pointed out, is his ability to interpret space. And so soccer for me is all about interpreting space, um, because whilst you have a way you want to play different spaces will open up against different opponents and if you're experienced and you know how to exploit it whether it's drifting out wide whether it's coming underneath or whether it's running beyond there's always an option and what you see with a lot of younger players is that they have the same action over and over regardless of where the space is and so his ability to be able to do that I think will help Andres and Diego Luna become a more evolved soccer player in a shorter amount of time because again the best type of teaching is peer-to-peer and his his and when they see him every day in training, um, they'll be able to you know leech a lot of information off of them. But he's he's a big guy. But one of the things that that I saw when we when we were scouting him was his weight of pass. And I think that pass he played at Chicho, which was on the correct side so that he can turn, which the weight was perfect so he can take it one touch. All these little details um, were things that I saw when he was playing at Middlesbrough, and so. Um, as far as being a beast in the air, you know, I, I think he's he's good in the air, I, I, but I would say his feet are like little mittens and they're soft for a big guy. All right, you talk about interpreting space. I am far from a soccer expert, although when I played it in PE on the football field, they did call me the menace on 19th Avenue. I will add to that now. <laughs> I knew you'd like that. A joke that makes sense to only two of you, but I'm glad you two are happy. I really am. Yeah. The, the, the school's right there, boarded up on 19th Ave. It's, it's, and it is. It's, there's a lot of traffic and a lot of craziness happening across the street as well. But That's you're talking great. about when you're talking about interpreting space, help me out there. It didn't seem like because you were you were going along the offensive end. That goal you gave up the other night, I, I didn't think the guys, how about defensively, interpreted the yes. space that they needed to be? Correct. That's a great point, PK. Um, so, especially in transition, and that's one of the, the one of the uh, on our recap, it's one of the things I went over with, with Vera, who found himself isolated 1v1 in the wide area. And so when you're talking about spaces now, they've knocked the ball 
whatever it was, like 40 yards into space. And so our lines, our, the defensive line and the midfield line were stretched, right? There's a lot of space between that line. And the way we talk about it in soccer is when you find yourself in these moments where the lines are stretched because there's more space between our lines, um, the, the, the actual tactic is to delay, right? We delay in the wide area. So we don't go in to win the ball in the wide area because if you don't win it, then what happened against St. Louis will happen consistently, which is now you have your whole team running backwards. And, and, and now covering positions are hard, harder to maintain because the distances are too great. The space is too great. So defensively, what you want is always compact. You want the spaces nice and tight. And so in that particular play, the ball goes over. The expectation would be that Barrett delays, just keeps the player in front of him, and allows time for our midfielders to get back so that then they have to play around our block instead of across and through our block, which the guy found it really easily to do. And then Jay Glad was too far away to be a good cover uh, if Vera got beat. And so if you deal with it at the source, which is delay, then all these other problems kind of solve themselves. I was intrigued watching Pablo Ruiz. Obviously, he's coming off uh, knee surgery that wrecked the end of his year. And you talked about how important he was. He was the point guard. He was the quarterback to the attack, even though he was playing so deep and so far away last year as, a, as an eight. Uh, watching him pop balls forward for Chicho, I thought, wow, it is something to have him back. And then you sub him off for Crooks, and you see what Crooks does. And I'm wondering, what is it going to look like if you can get Pablo and Crooks and Chicho Arango and Diego Luna on the field at the same time after they've been together for a month or six weeks and Matt Crooks actually knows everybody's name without having to think about it? Uh, what are the possibilities that's, for the attack going forward? Yeah, no, I think it's that. that's definitely the aim. Um, the one thing... Uh, and Pablo's been great and, and playing in a position that's a little bit uncomfortable to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously his best position is going to be uh, box-to-box midfielder, which is one of the two pivot roles that we play. And the conundrum at the moment was Emeka Nelly and Brian Ojeda played a master class pairing against St. Louis. Um, and if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't have been able to dictate the game the way we did, which is control the game with the ball, for 60% of the game, and, you know, Ameka led uh, interceptions in on the field. And so, like, these little – these the, the structural components, the role players, are, are just as critical um, in the performance of the group that is often unnoticed because it's not sexy. Um, and so the conundrum I think we find ourselves in this weekend is, whilst we want to get Pablo back to that, that spot, um, do we put him in there this weekend? Because, again, the roles are completely different. And so um, even though Pablo is probably the most technical, uh, most attacking eight that we have, um, is it the right time to put him in in this position given the performance that these two have had? But ideally we get to that spot to where Pablo's in the midfield playing with Crooks, playing with Luno, playing with Chicho, playing with Andres, and now we have a star-studded attack. But we got to think about the other side of the ball as well as coaches. It's not – you know, it's not fan ball where you're just watching the team attack. It's 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 the defense that wins the championships because it's so important to the structure of the group. So that's a conundrum I think we find ourselves in this weekend, and we'll have a couple more conversations this morning before we uh, decide which way we're going. Your handling of Barajas, the 17-year-old, it looked to be the same in both matches. Is that something that is going to continue, at least for the short term? 
Yeah, I think Barajas is a, is a bright young player. You know, I, you know I, I think oftentimes we get enamored with their age. And football for me is can you or can you not do it? And, and Barajas, Barajas consistently shows that he is a goal scorer and, and he hasn't had the opportunities quite yet. And it's very difficult when you get just a few minutes each game. But he's also understanding the, the level um, compared to last year where he was in the USL championship and now he moves up a level so the defending's better, the speed of play is quicker. Um, and so he's just getting his feet under him at this level. But he is just a talented player. He's a, uh, he's a goal scorer. And, and he's a class he's a class act of a, of a young man. And so I think um, his role will only continue to expand as we move forward and we start to get the congestion of games. He, you know, he'll be starting quite a few games this year because he's a great player. I think most fans can guess uh, what the attack is going to look like as far as the starting 11 and the substitution pattern. But is he going to be, even when you're just playing once a week, is he going to get to the point pretty quickly where he can put pressure on multiple guys to keep their spot in the starting 11? I think so, uh, DJ. You know, I think, again, if we want to be, um, you know, a team that's always stretching to become better, it, the, the, it starts it starts with, with that, is creating an environment where it's competitive. You know, I think the the the, the paradox, or not necessarily the paradox, but the the flip side of that is that another good player is going to have to not play. Right. And yeah. so you can't play 12 players on the field. And so whilst everyone wants to see certain guy play, uh, what we want to do from a club perspective is always push the envelope and the best player in that position for that week plays. Um, and, and, and again, I think in the last few years, we've been kind of acquiescing to to said player because of his profile, because of his name, because of his salary. Um, but what we want to do is create, and that, we started upon that, a game model that is identifiable when RSL play any game, whether it's home or away. And then the best players in that position for that week that fill those roles regardless of name and, 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 and status with, with, within the team. And I think Barajas is the guy that can play out wide for, uh, for Andres. Uh, and that's where he played in the USL. He can play in the middle for, for Diego. Um, because that's what he did in the preseason. And he can actually play up top, and he's played up top um, in, a num- in, I think, two or three games for us in the preseason and did really well and, and scored, I think, scored two goals in, in, in both of his appearances. And so he's a, he's a top-line player. Um, and, uh, you know, again, I don't think anyone's worried about his age because everyone knows the quality that he brings to the group. That's what I want you to take from today, Pablo, the menace on 19th. <laughs> PK, I can't forget that. I, I I just see you in the Chiefs outfit and the uh, and just running amok down 19th Ave. Oh, the running the amok part. The running amok part. We all believe the orange and blue, brother. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> all right. Will you? Uh, how how does it work with choosing ends of the field before we let you go? Do you want the wind at your back in the second half? Because I'm thinking if you need a goal late with the wind. And McMath's leg, he can just put it on Crooks's forehead right at the penalty spot from the other end with the wind behind him. Bang, you head it in and you're out of there. Forget all the subtleties, Pablo. This is yeah, knocking yeah, 80 yards you know, over the top. Just, but, but you know, it's like you don't know that the wind's going to stay in the same direction, right? You don't. I've seen it change. I've seen it change within five minutes during a game. You're, you're right. right. So I think, I think you always stay present. And if you have a chance to take the wind, you take the wind. 
and, and you stay present. And instead of trying to come back, you're thinking, we're going to get ahead in this half. And go. then we'll deal with the second half, regardless of which way the wind blows. Everybody likes that. Trey always likes to pick a 3-0 as the final score. So, yeah, score early, score often. Why not? Forget the late game Let's drama. Go. I mean, there you go. That's, that's the mindset for sure. Pablo, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. Good luck. All right, guys. Always a pleasure. There's pa- Pablo Mastroni, RSL head coach, LAFC coming to town. Talented again. Uh, there's enough questions about RSL. We stuck with them, but uh, LAFC – I think seven. I think they had seven new players against Seattle, and they still look like the same team. They were they were flying, and RSL's really struggled with the team. And they they change players all the time, and just it doesn't seem to matter. Guys come and go. Carlos Vela isn't there. Uh, big deal. They beat Seattle two to one. They don't care. <laughs> it's just they're good. Well, it's up to our guys to be menaces on State Street. Now it doesn't roll off the tongue, but still. All right. Well, think of think of something better than menace on State Street. But you can go. Ahead. The menace on 19th Ave, the menace on 9400 South. I don't know. You got to. That's a little far away, 94th, though. It's just uh, that's the street out the south end of the stadium, right? It's closer to 94th than 90th. Is that 94th? Yeah. Oh, because sometimes those streets, you're on it, and then it it changes changes names there. And I didn't know what it was. If if it if that is the, is ninety four yep. so so Jordan Commons is on the old Jordan High School was on ninety fourth South right okay to the south side of the school there well what was yeah. the school it's now the movie complex and office complex yeah the right. facade in front is still there uh-huh. yep they saved that uh, Larry Miller told a great story about that that uh, when he was a senior in high school um, he went to West and West lost to Jordan in the state today's the state high school basketball championship games. West lost to Jordan in a hard-fought, bitter state championship game, and it took him decades, but he got revenge. He bought the school, and he knocked that sucker down. <laughs> he got a huge laugh when he told that story. That's funny. I yeah. Told him, yeah. Save the facade, but he knocked that sucker down. <laughs> he was like, I mean, he tells that story. He had to be, he was probably late 50s when I, I yeah. think I heard him tell that story. <laughs> so it was like 40 years after the game. <laughs> but you could tell he could just close his eyes and see the end of that game. All right, DJ and PK, it is 97.5 The Zone. Um, PK, we have not really spent any time on this. We need to spend at least uh, a couple minutes in our next segment. It is an odd choice, and a basketball star faces it now, but are you at the point where you can make so much money in college that you shouldn't go to the pros, at least not right away? I think more athletes than you think are facing this decision, and one star is, and they made their decision, and we'll tell you about it next. This is DJ and PK, Utah's highest rated sports radio morning show for over 20 years. Ridiculously good. Presented by Murdoch Hyundai, Utah's number one Hyundai dealer for 16 years in a row on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Nominate the youth sports volunteer that you know for the Hercules Hero of the Week. Submit your nomination at kslsports.com forward slash contest and listen every Thursday afternoon to JJ and Alex for the winner. Help us celebrate the efforts of those volunteers making an impact with the Hercules Hero of the Week. And it's sponsored by Hercules Credit Union. DJ PK, Iowa sensation Caitlin Clark is declaring for the WNBA draft. How much will this make you follow the league? Warner. Much more. 
no more than I do now, which is none. No. She no, is, no, however, no. a phenomenal player. Well, you got to pay attention to her. I've been paying attention to her for three years. Saw her when she was a sophomore and thought, this kid is something. Come on, man. Get past that, oh, because some high school team can go beat the women's. I don't care about that. Forget that. Look at this young lady on her own merits. She's a fantastic player. And absolutely, I've followed. And because of her, I followed college basketball women from the women's perspective. I've always followed because I, I was paid to follow it. I mean, I literally had to, to cover it for many years. So it's not like it was a, a, a task that I thought, oh, wow, this is torture. I, I watched. Uh, they played Ohio State earlier on a Sunday a few weeks back. I watched the entire game. And Ohio State's possibly a one seed here. they got a game coming up. Uh, absolutely it'll make me pay attention because she's done it at the collegiate level. Now can she do it at the professional level? Matt, I will catch her highlights. I'm interested in how she plays going forward. Yeah. The WNBA has the challenge, and I get – well, I I believe. I can't prove, but I believe they play in the summer because NBA owners want arena dates, and they've pretty much covered in the winter, especially the arenas that have hockey – have the NHL and the NBA, and they don't need WNBA dates too because you get some concerts coming through. Uh, so getting people in the summer to sit down and watch a game for a couple hours when the weather's great and it's time to be outside and the daylight lasts longer, that's a challenge. But I think what Matt is doing, a lot of people are going to do. They know the story, and even if you're not blocking out two hours to watch the games, you're going to know if she goes and drops 40, you're going to see the logo threes, then she's going to keep shooting them. She's going to shoot them in the WNBA. So when Matt says, I'll catch your highlights and mention how she plays going forward, I think he speaks for a lot of our listeners. Yeah, well, how many games do you watch start to finish anyway? That don't I think mostly. Jazz. I was going to say mostly <laughs> local teams. That's it. Yeah, you know, we'll when you said you, when you just said you watched the game start to finish that game, I was thinking, wow, I wonder how many games I've watched start to finish that don't involve a local team. Very few. <laughs> Very well, it was Sunday few. morning, that particular game. Right. You had it. You had t- you had time, and yeah. there's no local teams playing. Right. But there, we watch so many local teams, you know, does they start to finish? You know, I catch fourth quarters of a lot of games, but. Yeah, it was Sunday. I know for you, you have a congregation to lead for a few years, so. You but know, you had good reception on your phone on the mountaintop? You're much busier than I am at that time of day. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. Congregation no, lead, I, see what you did there. <laughs> your secret's safe with me. That's all I got to say. Ha! <laughs> but as far as you're thinking uh, staying in college to make more money, that just means you're not good enough. That is something that I think a lot of athletes have to decide now. I don't think the star athletes are still going to make more in college, and those are the numbers, the staggering NIL numbers we hear are what's going to the star quarterback or you know the future basketball draft pick, in this case WNBA, You know, obviously for a lot of guys the NBA. But I do think for a lot of athletes, you know, if you're going to be an NBA draft pick and you're going to go late first round or second round, I mean, you might not make it. You may have to go overseas. Is it better to stay on campus and collect the NIL? What is the level there? And I guess a lot of that depends on what school you're at and what their resources are, what their family is. I don't know that it is. I really don't because uh, the more they have an opportunity to pick at your game, the worse it's going to be. So your best chance, even if it ends up being that's part of the equation, might be that earlier time. Roll the dice when they are more willing to draft you on potential. 
If but, you're going NBA, there's no way. If you're in there for three, four years, what's wrong with you? <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> that would be a great question for the combine. Come on in and sit down, uh, Mr. Uh, Big Man on Canvas. Uh, three years. What's wrong with you? <laughs> that nobody does that anymore. You're far. Look at all the busts that have been out there. If they had stayed longer, they they probably wouldn't have been drafted as high. Ochai Abaji was a uh, a college veteran, right? For uh, yes, on, the, yeah. on the local scene, he played four. Yeah, right. And I I can I don't know this, but I could argue maybe if he had come out earlier. I think that's the thing is you can argue it, uh, but for yeah, the but I don't, who only I don't has know it chance. though. I don't right. I don't know it. I didn't I follow him close enough. That's why I can't argue it. And you don't. I just don't know that it's knowable. Would a team have rolled the dice on him? Where would they have sure. uh, picked him? You know. Well, maybe I think, not him, but a player like him because they've done it a, a ton of times. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Look at the, all the busts, the guys who've been out there. Marquise Chris was like the fourth or eighth pick or something. I think it was mm. the eighth pick out of Washington. No, which, he's which not, USC, not a player. Which USC quarterback was going to go number one and then stayed and went ten? Liner. It was Matt Liner. You're right. Yeah, yeah. I, they all those USC quarterbacks run together. I mean, he's the while. primary example. I thought it might be too old to bring him up as an example, but he's the number one guy. Yep. And you know, he was living high on life there at SC. They didn't have the Raiders or the no, no, no the Raiders. They didn't have. have they the didn't. Rams the Raiders had left, and the Rams and Chargers hadn't come back. Right. The, so there was no NFL team in town. Right, and that and that time of year, man, that's where you know the SC with Pete Carroll. They were, gosh, all the Hollywood dudes and ladies were on the sidelines. Remember, I think the NCAA put a rule against that, <laughs> and so yeah, he stayed. Uh, and then he turned out to not be very good, and he was out. And he's making commercials, making money off of him sucking. Now, he well, he used to make commercials on that, and now he's in broadcasting and and does fine. And his kid is a. A quarterback. What's the the one that he had the kid with the one gal uh, who had the kid with Blake Griffin, uh, Cameron Jordan, I think was her name. Is that it? Jordan Cameron, something like that. And Jordan Cameron was her brother, Bryn Cameron. That was it. Uh, and so this her kid, or their son, is an up and coming quarterback. I, I understand at the high school level. We'll see what what happens. But you got to weigh all that, and then you got to weigh your family situation too. And if you're economically fine, that takes the pressure off. So, as like a Dalton Kincaid, he didn't need to chase the money in uh, his senior year over at Alabama because uh, his family was doing okay, and it worked out great. Couldn't actually, it literally couldn't have worked out better. First round pick, first round yeah. pick, and he goes plays with one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Right, and he has a phenomenal, phenomenal season once Keithy went down. But at the same time, Cam Rising's back for another year and doing just fine on the old NIL front. So Right, but is he going to be a quarterback at the NFL level? That remains to be seen. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 The Zone. We just had Pablo Mastriani on it. You can get that wherever you get your podcast. We had David Locke on earlier this morning. Pablo came on and talked about the opener with LAFC. If you want to go to the game, we've got tickets. They're going to be sent electronically via SeatGeek. We've got tickets to the opener with LAFC tomorrow. 
High noon, America First Field in Sandy. Caller 12-801-575 Zone wins a pair of tickets to see RSL and LAFC. Call right now. Caller 12-801-575 Zone. Tickets will be sent electronically via Seat Geek. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 the zone. Reaction flowing into the Utah Jazz. PK, it's really not the argument you're making, but you know what? You can make it one more time. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 the zone. 